for Toronto was only there for one night. Oops, that's so MLS. A North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, how are you? I am doing okay. Obviously uh, a sad week for soccer um, in many ways, the passing of Diego Maradona, but uh, I'm doing okay. That's good to hear. It's uh, it. We've we've had quite the weekend of, of MLS playoffs with a bunch of, um, with a with a bunch of some upsets, some extremely weird penalty shootouts, and then certainly on Wednesday everybody's attention was was uh, was fully seized by the announcement uh, that he had died at age sixty. Yeah, after a long career, um, and where he had. Uh, done such wonderful things, including winning the 1986 World Cup and uh, and had a great club career in Argentina and uh, Europe, and and was truly there's this there's this line was 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 truly just sort of like a giant world figure that could really like change the the he was worshipped he was worshipped like the god of soccer and and there were a lot of you know, rougher personal times that went along with that, but mm-hmm. he absolutely had the the ability to change the whole like mood of a city and a country, uh, and, and everybody would. Uh, he had the ability to make massive crowds sort of hang on his words and his actions, mm-hmm. um, and I think that one of the things fresh for a lot of people because. Um, of a great feature that came out in September from Pablo Maurer of the Athletic was uh, the feature on the the one game in 1996 that Maradona played as a player for Toronto Italia. Yeah, of the of the CNSL, uh, which was kind of like a pro amateur circuit that had signed Lalo Maradona, his brother, and, and thought, hey, do you think that you could get? Diego here for a game, and and they they successfully organized it, and um, you know when you see the the line from Maro's feature is you know uh, Maradona is the rare public feature figure like the Beatles, Elvis, or Michael Jackson, who causes not only excitement but some sort of out of body euphoria, the screaming, the fainting, all of it. Checks out. And that's just his reaction. No, I'm sorry. That's just his reaction. There's a lot of great little details in that in that feature, including the way that, you know, the the game beforehand, when when Maradona is not there, like a hundred people go to these games, mm-hmm. and all of them all of a sudden scatter to the edge of the stand to watch Maradona pull up in the parking lot. Yeah. And then at the end, like you know, he runs into the locker room and delivers this impassioned speech, and. Nobody can tell a single word of what he's saying. Even the Italian, nobody knows what language. <laughs> nobody understands this. Nobody, even the Italians, don't know whether or not he was speaking Spanish or Italian or what he was saying. But it was extremely passionate, and they did win the league season after that, or they did go on to win the game after that. The, the halftime talk, <laughs> uh, and in the game that he did play in, it was this perfect. It was essentially like a friendly against an all-star team from the league 
But it was this perfect, you know, script of the other team scores, a player on his team equalizes, and he steps up and scores a goal directly from a corner kick and then gets subbed off right after for a 2-1 two, two, win. Yeah. What more could you want? Exactly. It's such a bizarre but beautiful, like, little intersection of Canadian soccer and the soccer god. <laughs> like, it's so strange that it even happened. It could only have been Maradona to whom it would have been it would have been the person involved. I think that for a lot of people, you know, um, it, w- who experience soccer in Canada at this sort of, you know, regional level, right? Mm-hmm. It's wild to think that, like, this was this... <laughs> a, a Maradona might stop into this circuit every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's pretty unreal. And admittedly, like, I'll be the first person to uh, to hold up my hand and say, like, I knew of the legacy and had seen all the same clips that most people have seen. But, it, of course, it wasn't until this week that I really kind of went back and, you know, tried to delve a little bit deeper. So I don't have any stunning revelations or, or reflections, really, other than just, you know, I think that, like, once a generation you have... Uh, a player of this statue and even then he really does stand above even the um you know the elite players the the five or six really untouchable players diego maradona still in a class all of his own it is i would definitely agree with you that that when i started uh following soccer he was still kind of out of the game and 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 he, or like, like I think that on like the periphery in general, like not involved as a manager. Yeah. Um, but I kind of knew him as that figure that is just like around uttering a, uh, a wild quote every once in a while. And then, then taking over Argentina for some reason. Yeah. Uh, I just know him as the, the guy with the, uh, a lot of watches on his wrists who rubs his nose a lot <laughs> on the sidelines. Like that's how a lot of people are, our age group knew him. And he was on the, you know, he 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 was the manager of Argentina for a World Cup. So it's kind of like there's, he was a figure, he was a soccer figure while I was following soccer. But I definitely had that that same feeling where, you know, I knew of him. I had uh, one of the games that was being broadcast um, during the lockdown was the 1986 World Cup quarterfinal with England. Mm-hmm. So I had seen that recently and. Um, but I didn't, you know, I, I pretty much got off work on Wednesday and sat and watched the HBO documentary, right? which is tremendous and two hours long, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like, um, not to, not to dwell on the topic too long, but, um, in Eduardo Galeano's, uh, soccer in sun and shadow, he just, he describes a lot of players as sort of like magicians, you know what I mean? Like the ability to make themselves appear in different places where they, they hadn't been or yeah. make their legs vanish. And it's like they're – you read this and you're like, oh, what a wonderful figure of speech. And then there is like a like a two-minute long section in the documentary where they're talking about how he adapted to tough tackles when he was playing in Napoli. Mm-hmm. And it's just like you see him all of a sudden start to learn to, to do these tremendous moves. And they just play like – like a minute and a half to two minutes of moves, and you're like, "What am I watching? Yeah, what am yeah. I? What am I looking at with my eyes? It's pretty unreal. It doesn't look real. 
It's like the kind of thing that players every once in a while can pull off and practice, and you'll like see a video of it, and you're like, that's amazing. But like, it could never happen in a game scenario. And Maradona's highlight reel is just all of those in-game scenarios winning games. And you're like, I don't understand. <laughs> Nobody should be allowed to be that good. Uh, but, of course, he, nobody but him was. He 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 has that impact. And we saw the, the, the some figures of MLS give him his, uh, uh, the tributes. We saw a, a very cute picture of Lucas Cavallini with Maradona as a small child, mm. mm-hmm. which was uh, which was which was wonderful. Saying that, that, that he gave me my my passion for football, and then uh, uh, Boyan had a a, a a photo with him when he was at Barcelona, I think. I saw a great uh, photo that was him with the Gallagher brothers from Oasis in his house <laughs> while he was under house arrest. <laughs> oh my just, god! And it was—it's the late '90s, and you're just like, mm. <laughs> I feel like that was an exciting day for everyone in lots of different ways. <laughs> it's a lot of a lot of uh, personality in one photo. But he is—he's kind of like—he's like Babe Ruth, right? Like he's just—he's bigger than the entire sport. I would agree with that. I was thinking because of the the fact it was an HBO documentary, and the last one that I'd seen before that was about Andre the Giant. It's like that's kind of. In, in the 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 common figure with both of those sort of legends is the idea of like the god among us, right? Yeah. Like where it's just like everybody wonders what could this guy do, mm-hmm. and everybody has that you know he has that complete ability to to turn a whole crowd of heads. Just for just for being there, yeah. So that was that was those were some of the things that I thought is that it it really he really did feel kind of like an Andre esque figure to me. Yeah, yeah, and and I think you know as as entertaining as he was, also there's that that tragic part that kind of goes along with it that I think is, I mean, so true of elite athletes in general, but figures that that huge, right? That the the weight of the personality does kind of weigh them down as well like there's that that kind of dark side and, and the the self um self-destructive streak in in people with that much pressure and you can only imagine the the type of pressure that's on the average professional footballer let alone somebody <laughs> who uh has talent that is just unquestionably better than everybody else's i almost felt that that's one of the things that from the documentary that almost struck me as strange but obviously the accomplishments are great and and they're what people will remember but in terms of like the arc of his career mm-hmm. um it is somebody sort of re- I was listening to a podcast where he's being described kind of as relatable in a way that mess to the average person in a way that Messi and Ronaldo can't be mm-hmm. um but it almost also feels as well when you look at his history of, of the clubs that he went to in, in the years that he had, that it's almost sort of like relatable to like a soccer player and a sports player of like, this wasn't say like a Gretzky career where it's like, well, he was good. And then the next year he was good. And then the next year he was good. And then the next year he was good. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, he went to a, he went to a team and he had a tough time. He had an injury. He struggled. He went to another team. It took him a while to get going. 
wow, did he get going? You know what I mean? Like yeah. that. He had he had a a, a very complex and uh, he had a very complex life with a with a lot of ups and downs. But it almost is that was one of the things that almost was the most interesting to me is that I sometimes you you think of a player like a, a Babe Ruth or something and and you just can't imagine what it would have been like to see that. But if you if you think of the ups and downs from a week to week you know, basis mm-hmm. and all the events that are taking place. You could, you could imagine yourself living through that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it would, speaking of turning heads, uh, it, it <laughs> has also been an absolutely wild MLS playoff ride. And before we that dive into all the action, I just want to hit folks with uh, a very important stat, which is if you need to know anything, it's that, when you and I predict the same result, <laughs> we have 100% accuracy, at least in terms of the team who wins. Right. Uh, when you and I predict different things, I believe we're half and half. You got half of them right, and I got half of them that right. Would basically, that would basically be the way that it would work if we did, if we predicted different team Exactly, winners. right, yeah. But... So, <laughs> welcome to Nick's but math he... lesson. Uh... <laughs> one of us, but one of us, but one of us. Is right all the time. The key thing here is don't listen to either of us. Listen to both of us. Yes. Um, but, I mean, yeah, there's so many just juicy storylines from there's a whole playoff series, and lots of them, I think, or a couple of them people have definitely heard about. But let's start with New England-Montreal. Let's just start at the beginning and work through these matches. Let's start at the play. Yeah, the, the play-ins. We started with New England-Montreal. I think that... Um, we had that discussion of, of that we thought that, that New England, both of them had proved their ability to sort of like get the result in, in, in scenarios where it counted. But, uh, both of us, I believe had, no, we, you had Montreal. Yeah. But I, I fluffed this one. I had, I had New England three, two. And part of the reason for that was just, I felt that they had gotten the best of Montreal and I felt that they had kind of gotten the best of uh, like they had that ability in slightly more spades than Montreal did in, able to, in terms of being able to uh, hold down the result um, yeah and I think that I mean that was a wise prediction I remember like I the reason why Montreal for me was a very 2020 pick like I'm gonna pick them because I think New England might win. Not to, not to go, not to rewrite history or anything, but you know, I I honestly felt like Montreal had the the personnel to do the thing. Um, and you know, before we get into the game, I kind of just speaking about both teams for a second. I I really feel like Montreal has a lot of the right pieces in place. Like it it wasn't yes. a disaster season under Henri. I think he got a lot of things right. I think the way he sets up the team um, is really great. And I think they're playing some of the best soccer that they've played as a club. It's just not always consistent. And you know, while a player like Wanyama, who wasn't available through suspension in this game, is not uh, an out-and-out replacement for um, Piatti, I do feel like they've been able to replace the players they've lost and in most positions they've improved but i definitely like a lot of people was kind of just sleeping on new england and even though we've talked a lot about them uh you absolutely called this one right 
I think that that when you point out like Wanyama versus Piatti, I think it 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 shows that like they didn't really get a replacement to Piatti. They just moved away from the idea of focusing it all in on one person. Yeah, which was definitely which the right call. But I I felt like a player and a big impact player, pardon the pun, like Wanyama was really missing from this match. Like uh, I don't think he would have gone the the full match necessarily but i think he could have been a really key substitute had he been available yeah and and this was a, a part of the issue uh i felt that you you saw uh kyoto step up with the goal but yeah ultimately the the interplay with with uh Bo and with carly's heel was just like they had the ability to essentially uh, control the game when they when they wanted to. Now that's not to say that you know this almost could have gone a different way in terms of that. This is one of a few games that have taken place in the playoffs that have that ninety plus minute situation. Yeah. Now, what do you look at when you say when you when you see that game winning goal with uh, Bo hitting a tremendous Gustavo Bo hitting mm-hmm. a tremendous strike outside the area? You could kind of say simultaneously that he has a lot of room as the ball is played to him but he's also well you you could dither about the dangerousness of the situation i love to dither about the dangerousness of the situation (laughs) you could danger like like he has a lot of room but he's also far out you can't exactly predict that every the people who get the ball played to them are going to hit that amazing shot but they did give him lots of time and space to do it yeah, and you're right. I don't. I'm not gonna like uh, lose a ton of sleep about Montreal's entire setup because Gustavo Bu was left open uh, at the top of the box. Um, mm-hmm. but I mean, it's a great run in from him. What I've seen from Montreal overall is that they're very passive on these kinds of plays, and we've talked about. <laughs> I've talked about this like clumping that defenders seem to do in Montreal. This is essentially a set piece where there's the back line is lined up and the positioning is okay and there's I forget the New England New England player that crosses it in but um no he's being marked but it's there's five people behind the ball and the fact that none of them see the most dangerous attacking player on New England <laughs> ready there to take it I'm I'm you know if there'd been a player marking him and trying to close him down I I would maybe feel a little differently about it it's the fact that it's so late in the game um and and this is a thing that Montreal has been punished on time and time again that it it just sort of felt like it's a very Montreal mistake to make is it the most egregious one no no I think that overall they did a good job of defending um, Kyoto was able to get in with his goal. I thought the Montreal goal was great. I thought it was a great team goal. I thought that considering they were without Piet, they set the team up really well. I thought midfield was going to be just a total disaster for Montreal, and it wasn't. Um, but it's a key mistake that lets them down. Um, given what I saw, I don't necessarily think that had they won through other means they would have gotten through the next round because they outside of the goal most of this game it really felt like new england was dictating the tempo of Mm -hmm. and i felt like montreal hung on 
uh, bravely. <laughs> You're right about uh, the Kyoto goal. Carlos Hill's uh, volley strike yeah. uh, to to score first was great. Bo on on six minutes scores his uh, his hand of God tribute goal five days early. Yeah, uh, with a with a headed shot that goes off his forearm. Um, but uh, VAR had less problems with that one. We're in the age of VAR now; it doesn't happen that way. Uh, elsewhere, we could get we will get back to how New England would fare in that knockout uh, in that knockout round mm-hmm. later. But uh, the, the the following play-in game was Nashville versus Miami. Um, this one was far more... I think the first... One of, the, one of the, the, the commonalities in these first two nights of the playoffs is you had this this opening thriller and then one that is... The second game is a little bit more open and shut. Yeah, this one certainly felt that way, didn't it? I mean, <laughs> we, we've we talked about uh, Inter-Miami's potential and the things that they've done right, but, wow, for a first playoff outing, this was pretty disappointing from top to bottom. I just, you know, 13 minutes in, Matuidi's tracking back and just kind of, like, running into nothing. He's supposed to be marking Liel, but he's not, who has a wide-open shot. And within the opening, like, under 15 minutes, Nashville's up on just a, a simple play where Matuidi's got to be there. Like, he, he's he's marking no one. And it just kind of continued from there. That I mean, you have a World Cup winning player on the pitch who doesn't seem to want to track back, doesn't want to mark, isn't really running. That, for me, was the... The more alarming thing is that when you look at the the payroll of the players out there, and I, I get being tired, but there just seemed to be a, a real lack of effort. And the we've seen some really tidy passing from Inter-Miami in certain games this season, but this was like Whitecaps, Whitecaps level of passing. It was just constantly being intercepted. Now, to be fair, it's Nashville, <laughs> and right. Nashville played great. So the other side of it is not just a team not playing well. Um, Nashville just uh, really put on a, a professional clinic in this game. The other thing that we have to say with when we talk about payroll with, with Miami, and we haven't talked about it a lot yet, but the the ongoing you know tussle MLS is having is going to have with COVID. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that they were? I think they were missing both Higuains. Yeah, they were um, with COVID. Not not as much with the international break as you as you might think, but I think they both had. Uh, they were both pulled from the lineup for COVID reasons, if I if I recall. Yeah. I'm looking to see. It's not in the recap. I am noting that that when you are following the official league sources of Major League Soccer, it's harder to hard to get in, that in. It's hard. It's harder to find them find it written down anywhere. They don't have none of the none of the recaps noted who was and wasn't playing, and none of the no uh, uh, oh or did they right there was but it, but I remember hearing that that they were kind of without some of their best certainly yeah yeah and, and I think uh, that that certainly uh, worked against them. But part of what 
I think also worked against them is that Inter Miami did have a lot of young pieces in their squad this season that they really didn't use. Yeah. Um, and I felt like there could have been better squad rotation so that had they come to this point, um, you know, there would have been 18 players fresh and ready to go and know how to slot into the system. But this was a game where I just, I thought Nashville played great. All their goals were fantastic. But, you know, the, the last goal from Dax McCarty, he's running through midfield completely unchecked for 40 yards. Who's supposed to be marking him? Matuidi. And from the center, he's running behind him. He makes no effort to, to even get a shoulder in or to track back and then nobody else picks him up and he has a completely free kick from just outside the box after running 40 yards and i'm like well what's what what's the game plan here Miami? <laughs> like what's the system when you can't do pick you, up a, a holding center mid from the halfway line do you think that there is the the uh i wonder with that one if you have the the some of the defenders for Miami are back, and they stay back as McCarty runs. Instead of coming up to challenge him, they it almost looks like they're saying, I'm going to go hang out with these players in front of the goal so that they can't get past to. Mm-hmm. Which, on one hand, it's a challenging it's a challenging proposition, but you're you're exactly right that somebody else could have been available to to get him. Yeah, and I mean, ulti- ultimately, like, it, Matuidi's the guy that's supposed to be picking him up, and he's not. Okay, well, that was the case as McCarty starts his run. It's the fact that he then goes 40 yards, and Inter-Miami's shape is just blown to pieces. So the back line really can't risk sending a defender forward. I think as McCarty gets closer, probably you can send a center back up to pick him out because there's not a ton of Nashville players that he can pass to in that in that phase of play. Um, but it's just, for me, it's more of that that is allowed to happen and none of the Inter-Miami players react because it's clear to me they don't know what they're supposed to do. And that, to me, is uh, a sign of a club that really needs to go away and work on its tactics because there should always be a plan. Like, you should know what to do, but it was like, Oh, nobody drew this one up. No, we didn't. We didn't. We didn't go over a drill of what to do if a player just runs down the middle of the field and takes a kick at our net. Like that's not supposed to happen. So, I mean, it it wasn't completely terrible from Miami, but there's very few chances here. Their big performers uh, were either unavailable or really didn't show up, even if they dressed. Um, uh, you know, overall, sure, first year in MLS, they made the playoffs, but. Uh, this was a uh, one of a, a couple of games that really felt pretty disappointing in the end. The missing players were Leandro Gonzalez Perez, Gonzalo Higuain, Federico Higuain, and they had missing from the red card Andres Reyes. So, right, a fair chunk, a fair chunk but, of players. But I also was, you know, uh, Nashville showed up like a machine that was ready to win, and we will hear more about them <laughs> later on. But the 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 next game that took place on on to was to totally normal the, and everything happened exactly as it was supposed to. November twenty first schedule was this Orlando versus New York City, where everything happens at the very end, very beginning, and the very end. Yep. As in the first eight minutes, you have uh, Nani gets fouled. He takes this penalty kick where he looks like he. Stops to check his phone first, uh, and then takes it. 
and then uh, only a couple minutes later, Maxime Chanel rises on a corner. That corner kind of felt the deal withable to me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you had uh, some some big saves from Pedro Galese, uh and then Ruan, he of the he of of red cards past sees another one where he, to be fair on this one, he's he is hauled down by his marker. Oh yeah, uh, he's definitely fouled first. But he is just stressed as the guy is pulling is is coming off of him and hits a swift kick with the studs to the side of the guy's knee. Um, which I'm which told you're a, not supposed to do. That's a sending off. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Um, it's ridiculous. Uh, and and for me, like... <sighs> oh, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it later. <laughs> that then goes forms, to... Uh, the the shootout is... Um, is the, the Sorry, the, the extra time comes and goes... Uh, and we come to this shootout, which is up there with. Now I don't know that you want to say the best shootouts because no, it's like <laughs> I don't want to say that. I mean, it's odd. I went I went to go rewatch the Portland double post shootout after this, yeah, and they scored a lot fewer. There was a, there weren't as many goals in that one, but part of what made this one so 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 strange was the referee disruption <laughs> that took place uh, on our on our on our way to this one Maxi Morales steps up to take the first New York City uh, penalty and is and misses um, everybody Tesho scores in the first round they they have three more rounds of um, they have three more rounds of of uh, of where everybody scores, the MLS website is showing the opposite order of goal of goals in the shootout. But I know that it's Castellanos who who steps up to take uh, the final New York City penalty. If it if they miss this, there's no way that they can um, that they can come back and, and equalize. And he is saved, and everybody is everybody is is. Losing their minds, and then did he come but, off the line? And it's shown. Wait, kind wait, wait! Of, Before it, that happens, quick pause. Yes. There's actually a thing that happens in between here. Please, which is that the Orlando City coach, whose name is I'm blanking on, used to coach Dallas. Help, Oscar me. Pereja. Oscar Pereja. Thank you. Pereja is so elated, he immediately goes to run down the tunnel, and he's like skipping and jumping as he's going down the tunnel. I think to go get Ruan to celebrate. Right. I, oh, that's right. I forgot about and that. And at this point, like, us at home are going, oh, they're checking something. Like, I think it's Alan Kelly was refing this one, wasn't he? Uh, yes. Yeah, he's got his hand to his, his earpiece, and you're like, oh, wait. Wait, 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 wait. And Pereja's gone. Like, he's down the tunnel going to collect he's, his oh, player. He's, or he's, P, I don't know. I, but he was heading down there in gone, a hurry. He's down to the beach. He's He's gone. <laughs> anyway, what happens next? Right. Okay. So it is found on replay that Galeze was off his line. I, You definitely can see his at least one of his feet come off. There is, there is some muddiness to me 
where I kind of thought that they had if you if your feet are above the line, but not ahead of the line. There's I whatever however you 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 personally see the decision. He's he seemed to be off the line, and he is given a second yellow, which because he's already received a yellow is a sending off. He is sent off in the middle of the shootout for coming off his line. And and, and the that's not the craziest part of the things that happen next. <laughs> the explanation for this is that um, <laughs> they, they, they have changed the laws of the game to make this somewhat challenging rule more fair, which is that if you come off the line once, you now get a warning, and you don't get a, just get a penalty, uh, a yellow card. Yeah, but for, this is MLS, and we don't institute rules halfway through a season, apparently <laughs> anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can move Nashville from one conference to the middle to the next yeah. in the middle of the yeah, season. Yeah, if we're changing but adopt- a team to a conference, you can do that in the halfway point. But a rule about not getting a yellow on your first encroachment off a line in a PK situation, you don't you don't want to change that midseason. So that was so MLS is working on the 2019 version of the firmware, in which in which you do get a red a, a yellow for for jumping off. So he's sent off, and they bring former Vancouver Whitecap Brian Rowe uh, on. He he straps his gloves on, um, and he comes to the line, and Castellanos takes the spot, and everybody is getting ready, and Alan Kelly still has his hand to his earpiece. And his hand is still to his earpiece. And they go to the VAR and they check. Something that actually kind of made sense to me from the off, which is, can you do a substitution in a shootout? I don't... I was thinking, what shootout have I ever seen before where a substitution was made in the middle of a shootout? Um, And... Well, and Pareja was trying to argue that they're not subbing off Galese. They're subbing off a player who's in, about to take a penalty with a goalkeeper. Right. However, you're still not allowed to do that, turns out. You're still not allowed to do it. Uh, I, the, the way they were explaining it to viewers is not the final explanation from that came from uh, Pro, the professional referees organization. The, the explanation... Uh, the explanation from view- that viewers got was that they that maybe Orlando didn't have enough substitutions because they had they you get an extra sixth you get an extra sixth uh, substitution um, in extra time so they were arguing that they had enough they had an extra sub right that they could have used and. Viewers got the explanation that they didn't have enough stoppage windows left. Like, you know, this weird rule with the five subs where mm-hmm. you have five subs, but you could only make them in three windows. Yeah. They were trying to argue that you've taken all of your possible windows mm-hmm. so you can do it. So that made no sense on the broadcast. No. What they, what they actually said was... Um, Goalkeepers who are sent off during kicks from the penalty mark can only be replaced by an eligible player, eligible player, i.e., a player who is on the field of play or temporarily off it due to adjusting equipment, injury treatment, etc. At the end of extra time, Orlando reserve goalkeeper Brian Rowe was not an eligible player. Um, which is fine. I, like okay. Well, 
it's challenging. It's it's just if you have even even the revised version of the laws of the game rule feels pretty punitive in terms of having a a, a shutout. Um, you know, to, to have a, a shootout and to, to lose your goalkeeper and to have to put a non goalkeeper in for a shootout seems to be like okay. Well, if you come off the line twice, you lose the game. That's the that's the that's the that's well, the penalty. But I think it is meant to be a deterrent to uh, to goalkeepers encroaching, right? Like it, it's it's meant to try to keep things equal. I mean, my view is like the rules are the rules, but why is Brian Rowe but, allowed to put the gloves on, walk out to the net, get ready to take the penalty, and then told to walk off? Like the the answer is nobody knew what they were doing. Right. So it's. <laughs> I think for me, like, I understand the the anger that resulted. I think all the right calls were still made. Like, you got to be sure. If it's in the rules, Alan Kelly, if, as soon as there's doubt, he has to go check and make sure that, yes, this is every, – everything's being handled as it should. It took an age. They got everything right in the end. Um and it still wasn't over. <laughs> pro, have, pro has pro has clarified that Alan Kelly, Alan Kelly did everything right, but uh, that crew is uh, getting the rest of the year off. Yeah, they did everything they right. Be... They're just not allowed to referee for the rest of the season. <laughs> so, so you know, like we're saying, if you if you if you can't bring on your backup goalkeeper in the middle of a shootout, then you have to put the gloves on some rando, Rodrigo uh, Schlegel. Hey. He once practiced in goal in the academy, so let's say he doesn't know what he's doing. He's got a at least once or twice when he was nine. I don't know where they found a a short sleeved goalkeeper shirt with no number on it, Uh, but he's got he's got a a goalkeeper shirt on, and he's got his he's he's getting his 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 gloves on, and he looks utterly just lost. When when Castellanos finally does score his penalty, he's crouching so low. He reminded me of uh, Sebastian Blanco lying down on the pitch behind the wall. Like he's crouching <laughs> so low. I'm just like, what is he doing? Is like, okay, he's not a goalkeeper, but he is a soccer player. Surely he's seen goalkeepers, and he like, does he think that's what they do? All this is just only put only put uh, New York on four and four. New York, uh, Orlando still had the 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 chance to win it, um, with the chance to win it on a shot by Nani, who steps up to the the who steps up to the mark and is saved by Sean Johnson, just just upping the pandemonium level already, and uh, and what happens next? But Rodrigo Sh- Rodrigo Schlegel. Saves Goodmunder Theronson. Just absolute scenes as they as the team mobs this central defender who 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 makes the save. Well, and uh, a theme that certainly developed in these playoffs has been: if you're gonna do it, do it in the ninety. Because if you wait, you're gonna have a bad time. <laughs> And I, I just, I felt like, I thought New York City could have won this game. Um, I'm going to stick to that. But, you know, they were so much on the back foot in most of this game when I really, I felt like they could have had much more control. You know, I think they were unlucky with some of their chances. But 
I really don't understand why they kind of took this this cautious approach for much of the first half. And it, it just goes to show you, I mean, like, I think that they actually felt quite confident e- even heading into the, the penalty situation where they're like, all right, well, this will be our opportunity to win it. But, I mean, nobody could have predicted that this would be the outcome and this is the way things would go down. But um, I, I feel like... New York City really threw out the chance to win this game in the first 90. And, yep. and after that, it was absolute scenes. Uh, quite apart from all the, the controversy, I I still think that, you know, Orlando, this was the one window in which they could win the game, and they took that opportunity. Benji Michel finally scored the final penalty kick and, and, and sent us all... Sent us all a, a home. We were already all home, except for the, the few fans that were in, in attendance yeah. um, in Orlando. I think that looking at the possession chart and, and how much New York controlled the second half in extra time, you definitely have to agree with that. They 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 had 7-3. They led shots on target 7-3. Uh, shots off target 11-6. They had 55% possession in uh, what is it like? Uh, I think it was five. Orlando only had four of the five minute intervals after the halftime, and we're down a player. And we're down a player. <laughs> like, yeah, it, I I feel like City's got to be pretty disappointed with how this went down, and and if anything, I feel like there's a lot uh, a big deal being made about the penalties, but I'm like. You guys lost this game way before that. <laughs> like, you threw away your chances to p- polish this one off. Um, it was certainly a better team performance from New York than from Orlando up until the, the penalty kicks. You certainly can't look at it as as sort of uh, a, a absence of justice. No. You know, I don't look at this thinking, oh, wow, Orlando really, really got one. Because when that whole brouhaha was taking place, they were also in control of the shootout. Yeah. yeah. So it's just the circumstances were circumstances were in New York City's favor. It was Gillespie sending off that I was like, "Oh, Orlando might lose this now," because they looked like they were going to take it. And then I was like, "Oh, well, there, there, there goes their luck. <laughs> Nothing could happen now." On the other side of uh, New York, that that had been uh, neglected to fans of on TSM, fans that may not have uh, switched over at the the conclusion of the, the nine-hour game that happened before. Well, half of it, half of it was overlapping yeah. uh, at the same time. I want to say at the same time as uh, as as Columbus was scoring the first of three goals in their three-two win over Red Bull New York. Mm-hmm. Um, this was you want to you want to give some credit to to New York who was um who got a couple goals for them and and I thought that Ryan Mayera had an, an all right game, um, but this is increasingly seeming like you know a, a playoffs that Columbus can st- um, stamp their mark onto, and they certainly attempted to do so here. Yeah, and in and, and large ways, I think they did. You and I both predicted this would be 3-0 Columbus, which we got mm-hmm. the first part right. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be a little bit more generous to the Red Bulls. I thought this was a good fight from them. I thought they were, yeah. to be the clear underdogs, um, 
I felt like they were one of the clubs that nobody expected to perform. And look, I'm not going <laughs> to overstate things and say that they were good, but I got, I thought the Red Bulls brought a lot more than, um, perhaps people, including myself, would give credit to. And their goals weren't total chaos goals. Like, I, I felt like the Red Bulls' goals were, were well-worked, um, and I felt like overall, tactically, they played well against, uh, a, you know, one of the best sides in the East um, that's given up very few goals. If anything, this game, to me, raises a lot of questions about Columbus and their their inability to lock down letting multiple goals in, considering how good they were for so much of the season. You know, their last five games or so, they were starting to to really see that goals against climb. Um, and for a team that has struggled so much as the Red Bulls to get the two in, um, I, I felt like that was a bit of a, a warning shot to Columbus, that they're going to need to... Uh, like we know they can score goals, but they need to get back to their defending ways and being a little bit more clinical in that area. Um, and I had totally forgotten too. Like seventeen-year-old Caden Clark is the one that opens yeah. things up. I mean, he's the one that gets this whole game going, and it's the Red Bulls up. And you're like, okay, well, what do I know? Maybe <laughs> nobody was watching. Nobody was watching when the Red Bulls is, were leading because of their pesky neighbors. Yeah, uh, but unfortunately. Like, the Red Bulls immediately shoot themselves in the foot. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah, you have Clark. The ball is crossed into his feet. Uh, Yearwood clunks over an attacker, and Pedro Santos sneaks it past Ryan Mayara for the first goal. That Santos penalty I mean, is, like, so close to the far post, you're almost like, oh, he's going to spray it wide, and it just goes <laughs> in. It's a, a ballsy take. Yeah, those are three. those are just three minutes apart. Oops. Yeah. Um, and then it's the seconds into the second half. You have uh, Miara is, this is, this is really quite the sequence because he saves the, the first ball and he saves the second ball. And there's like random headers where people are falling to the, the turf yeah. and keeping possession on, on the Columbus end uh, with, with headed goals. And eventually uh, Nigby finds the rebound to to get the two uh, to get the two one goal. Yeah, it's so funny to me, like how good Darlington Nagby is everywhere on the pitch, but certainly not a player known for his goal scoring prowess. You know, he's good for a couple a season, certainly. And you feel like the way that this ball is pinging around and just not going in, you're like, this just needs a midfielder to step through it and just bury it. And who <laughs> comes to the rescue but Darlington Nagby? And just nails this one in where, um, you know, it's a, a bit of a chaotic ball to deal with, no doubt. But I, I still feel like, you know, the Red Bulls just have failed so much this season to clear uh, dangerous balls in and, and actually get it out. Um, and this inability to clear their area, this is the perfect example where you just you can't leave that ball sitting for someone and, and Nagby makes no mistake with it. Gassi Zarbadez gets the third goal. He, a ball is uh, ball is looping into him, and and it doesn't really seem like a the biggest chance. But he gets it on frame, and he scores with it, and and that puts New York in a tough position. But I definitely agree with you about the the fight that they showed throughout the game because there were there were a lot of teams and some favored teams in this first round of the playoffs that went down, and then just. It almost is like, you know, they're looking around at each other and being like, how do football? Yeah. 
how can we we've, we've never been down before in our lives what do we do yeah and, and, and again like the red and the red bulls didn't do that you know brian white gets a, a very late goal and you really don't think there's enough time to get an equalizer but uh, to show that kind of fight, to have the one of the last sequences be a goal for the team that's losing, I think is is one of the few positives you can take out of a, a pretty not great season. I mean, they got themselves into the playoffs just, and they did an okay job against one of the best teams in the East with one of the best defensive records. They still got two goals by them. So it's a little less like uh, catastrophe, uh, of a catastrophe for the Red Bulls than... It, it, I think it was for some other teams. <laughs> the uh, Sporting Kansas City, uh, in this is the we didn't really uh, we'll we'll get to the sort of the Eastern Conference system, but with they had the playing games. Mm-hmm. The Western Conference had straight up uh, first seed versus bottom seed to start. San Jose is definitely a team where nobody I think really expected. Much of them in in a, in the, in terms of a competitive situation, but of course everybody knows that they have been uh, wild. Yeah, you, they've been they have been highly unpredictable, and this was a highly unpredictable game in every way except the end result. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, this was this was another wild one. This was one of those games. There was a number of games on the weekend. Like it was also just it was back to back to back. So if you were watching live, uh, you ended up watching an awful lot of soccer. But this is one where it was like, by the time it went to extra time, you're like, I can, I need a cigarette. Does anyone have one? Of <laughs> Just so much going on. And re- and again, this game opens up early. Sporting Kansas City, three and a half minutes in, get a goal off a corner. And, and, and you're just thinking like, well, there it is. You predicted 3-1 for Sporting Kansas City. I predicted 5-0. And I think both of us at that point are just thinking like, okay, well, like maybe f- even five goals was a conservative estimate. Like if they're doing this off of one of the opening sequences. Right. However. But then <laughs> on twenty on the, the 22nd minute, they, uh, is San Jose equalized with a tremendously city, silly goal, which is shot from Fierro uh, in what I think is not like the most stable of circumstances. Like I think he's moving. Uh, like I think he's sort of off balance when he shoots it. If I'm, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, yeah, or, he's almost or, falling or, over really. If he hits <laughs> it and it hits, uh, it hits, uh, Kansas city's Punchech's face mm-hmm. and then hits the ground and then bounces off the ground with backspin into the goal. Goal's a goal. <laughs> Goals a goal. What can you say? Uh, that it that only ended up in in one number in the end. Uh, but that I just had, you know, just like they drew it up. You yeah. know, that's you go into the you go into the the training ground and you make sure everybody is is practiced on there, uh, headed off the defender's face. But this is the thing that that San Jose has done well this year is getting shots in. And they're not the cleanest team. Tactically, they can be a total mess, but they're going to get their shots in. You're not going to be able to hold them completely uh, off of of having chances. You might hold them off the score sheet, but they're still going to get chances that go through. And then it's not too long after that that Salinas is open at the top of the box, 
and buries another beautiful goal where Sporting Kansas City's just caught out defensively and they're scrambling a bit. And it's all of a sudden a chaos game. And yet you're thinking Sporting Kansas City look like the team that's total chaos and San Jose look like they're in complete control. And it's 2-1. <laughs> you're absolutely right. I, I, uh, especially from that first half, you'd think, you know, the, the, the organization mm-hmm. is certainly not there. Probably on either side, but especially not from, from Kansas City. Um, you have Ilya uh, scores a, a, a tying goal. It almost looks like Winston Reed smashes it in, but but it, maybe it doesn't really get his foot on the way in. Maybe it was headed on its way in anyway. I saw, I saw a replay where he's there tracking the ball, but in the shot of in the shot from behind the goal, you see Reed tracking it in, and he kind of gives a half-hearted kick out at it, but I don't think he makes contact with it. Right, right, yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a nodded. It's sort of you know one of those bunched cor- corners where the corners, uh, everybody is on the near post, uh, and Ilya is able to just get just enough forehead on it to to redirect its path towards the goal. I mean, it's good for from Reed to be there because there's a lot of things that can happen, and you certainly you're like, yeah, have a player there just to make double double sure it goes in because um, had it <laughs> slowed up somehow or hit the pitch, there would have been a player there to sink it anyway. So everything after after a middle stretch of possession that wins San Jose's way, everything is going well for Sporting Kansas City at this point. Around ninety plus one, Gianluca Busio. Busio scores it. Uh, it's it's like Kyrie Shelton is uh, Kyrie Shelton has the ball and he's falling and he sort of pokes it with his feet mm-hmm. as he's falling forward, like to just be like somebody get this. Yeah. And and Busio sort of shoots on the goal the goalkeeper's near side to give Sporting Kansas City what feels like must be. Yeah. Now the. I, just a, a quick, quick question for you. Trivia. This is going to test your, your soccer tactics. Now, if you score a goal deep into stoppage time, how much time should you spend celebrating that goal? Uh, well, I mean, you you might think, if you were of the Harry Redknappian <laughs> persuasion, that any... That any the, 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 the referee is going to underplay whatever time so it's so Busio spends an awful lot of time doing it but I would almost think you know it's like you know you could people do all kinds of funny things in injury time you know they get but they in have a league that consistently shoes. gives like seven plus minutes of added time <laughs> and added time on added time that was a bad move <laughs> they gotta tie their shoes they gotta call their moms lots of things happen in injury time which leaves time <laughs> the goat to get Chris his two cents in. Wondolowski. I never get tired of it. I because of course, like I just wanted to be right, so I wanted Sporting Kansas City to win this game. <laughs> but I I took great joy in Salinas's goal, and then great joy in Wondolowski's goal, where I was just like, this is the only thing I want right now is a Chris Wondolowski goal. I don't even care what it changes, and the fact that it, it tied up the game was even better um but just 
Like, I don't know what is flowing through his veins. I don't think it's blood, but I would like some. <laughs> the uh, And before that, San Jose didn't look that good in the in the remaining minutes of extra time. Like, no. they looked like they were having trouble getting the ball forward. They looked like when they were in possession that they they were... They had that nervous midfield feeling of like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to pass back to you. Better pass it back to the goalkeeper. Just no, no sense of how to to move the ball down the pitch. And then they're in this position, and uh, and Wando hits this header. It's like a long cross forward to him, and Wando is sprawling for it basically. Yeah, he's yeah, essentially already it, on all fours. Yeah, it does not look comfortable, but. <laughs> Doesn't need to be apparently. Love to be, yeah. Love to be uh, thirty-seven and scoring goals that require a full body bump yeah. on your face. Yeah, it just—it's uh, unreal. I mean, I—I I really felt like there were periods of play where SKC was very much in charge of this game and and looked great. And then there was periods that were really, really shaky, and there was a lot of inconsistencies. And, you know, we have seen that from Sporting Kansas City at times this season. We certainly saw lots of it last season, but we saw the ship be much righted uh, this season. But it, I, I thought that they really kind of let San Jose back into this game. I mean, the Wando goal is, like, only he can do that. What are you going to do? Like, of course, <laughs> that's going to happen. Um but they did waste an awful lot of time celebrating their goal. And I think they should, first of all, you should know better and know that the referee is going to be adding all of that time to the already added time. And also they kind of fell asleep after that. They can't, when they, when they're finally reset, they, they just, they look like the, a team that's already decided they've won it and they're just not paying attention. And, you know, there's only one guy that's going to really hurt you on that. And it's Chris Wondolowski. You could kind of like, there is, I think that it doesn't seem like a lot of people are uh, disputing it. You could feel in the play, like when the play started that resulted in the goal, that the referee sort of looked at his watch and he said, oh, you're going to, or you could try one. And then it doesn't work out. And the referee says, oh, you could try and have another one. Mm-hmm. And and you could kind of like, you know, you could be here or there on, on whether or not you think that's, that's uh that's great, but they had uh, they had on the broadcast they had their their rules analyst Joe Matchnick who basically said it it was the referee let them keep playing because Busio did his thing yeah and and I don't think that that is an incorrect way to judge how that went uh, but in terms of Kansas City being in control there's one man in control and that is friend of the podcast Tim Melia it's just. I mean, whatever inconsistencies they had in this uh, in this game, they more than made up for in the penalties, where um, quite the opposite of what happened in another game, Milia just ices them out. Three straight saves. Just he's he's good and he's good at penalties, and everybody knows how good he is. And when he steps up, everybody says, "Oh, well, he's great at penalties." That was phenomenal. That was otherworldly. Yeah. That's that that really is like uh, a defining like career performance from him in a game that I think a lot of people felt like okay Sporting has to win this. Um, this is you know this is Timelia all the way really coming back and 
winning it for his team. I mean, obviously, literally, but just to have that game go the way it did and have the mental fortitude to step up and have all that pressure on you and still be able to perform and, and just so clear he had done his homework. Uh, he ices out Wondolowski on his PK and just looks not fussed by the entire thing. Uh, it's open and shut. Six penalties taken, three in for SKC, three three saved by SKC, and the match is over and you think, well, okay, what did I just watch? It's, you can kind of ask yourself some questions about whether or not that is momentum for Sporting Kansas City because they, you know, they let San Jose get so much. I uh, think it, what it is, it's a warning. If Speaking of trying to finish a game in 90 minutes, don't take Sporting Kansas City, City penalties it. if you don't have to. You don't want to do it. <laughs> Just don't. There's other, there's, yeah, there's you may want to make alternate plans. <laughs> if you, you if you if you tie after ninety minutes, consider taking a long bath instead of going to penalties. Yeah. Just, uh, just say, you know, do we want to do this other half an hour? You can, you guys can, you can do that, uh, or at least one hundred twenty. Yeah. Um, you then had the second game that day when I asked you, "Is this rewatchable?" And you said, "Heavens no." <laughs> that was my exact words. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Colorado. We love you. We we really tried, but oh my goodness, Minnesota uh, uh, with no with with the gentleman's agreement extinguished. Uh, uh, Steamrolled over Colorado three nothing. Yeah, I, I but this game was a test of the emergency Kevin Molino system. <laughs> Just. And, you know, I had a bit of a, a back and forth with a couple of Rapids fans on, on Twitter throughout this game, and they're just like, yep. I mean, there's just nothing. Everything good that we talked about from Colorado this season and leading up to this, I didn't no, – neither of us thought they were going to win, but I thought that it would have been a bit more of a game. Um, and take nothing away from Minnesota, who just had an absolutely professional, thoroughly organized game. But I I can't – I've gone back to look to see, like, did I miss something that I should be talking about for Colorado? But they just, they had nothing. None of none of their top players really showed up and, and performed in the in the way that they should. Um, you know, we talked so much about Diego Rubio and what an impact he's had for them this season. And I, I thought he spent most of the game whining at the referee over things that were pretty clear-cut and obvious. And they just looked really disorganized and without any of the attacking threat that we've seen from them. A, a couple of half chances, but that was it. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, the I I think that the defense looked pretty bad. Offensively, the, the, we just got that, that interplay between Molino and Ludd yeah. um, to look at. The, the first goal for Molino comes... Uh, Reynoso is getting wiped out by Lost of Ubicar. Yeah. Uh, and it, and it just the ball sort of springs free to Molino, who, who scores it. Reynoso hits the post. Uh, I quite liked Robin Ludd's goal for two, uh, for two nothing, where he's, it's a run in. And you were mentioning defender bunching earlier. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, this is one of the things I thought of, which was sort of like, it's not a free header. He's just on the top of it. But also there is 
a person who, in addition to the the defender who's contesting the the header with him, there's a whole other defender who's sort of you know crumpled up underneath the both of them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah, uh, and and perhaps not de- not deployed in the most ideal way. Like like it's being it's said, uh, it's said on commentary that he his his markers have lost him. But there are two people there with them. They're just not in any way deployed in a in a way that can that can actually allow them to use their their head or their legs to 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 stop this from happening. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, unfortunate way for Colorado's season to end. I mean, they they went through so much as a team, and I felt like they really pulled together in a big way, um, and just choked. <laughs> I, I don't know what else you can call it. It just it was a, a pretty lackluster miserable performance from just about everyone um and the strange thing is you know we talked a little bit about things that we would improve on on other teams and i I still feel like colorado has a lot of the personnel but this was a game for me where all of the the shortcomings of colorado really came to fruition where they really still need a stronger center back pairing with abubakar um their their midfield needs some help for a player like rubio who's older um and although it wasn't a great game for him i don't think you can write him off as a as an impact player but i don't feel like colorado needs to throw everything out um or restart from scratch i thought tactically they maybe didn't have it right um and are missing a couple of pieces so although it was a extremely disappointing way for them to end the season i feel like as a rapids fan you still have to be relatively encouraged by the overall performance this season given everything that went on I agree with that, and I think that that partially for them, the the win is the fact that they got in. You know, it's yeah. you don't necessarily want to just rely only on that and to say we just got in, but but this was an expanded playoffs. They were able to, um, they were able to swing their way in despite you know the the long layoff that they had, um, and this is a little bit of a reward for what they went through. Um, and hopefully gives them some some learnings to uh, to take with them into the the off season. Okay, I have, a, I have a question for you about Minnesota, but we'll get to it when we get to our predictions for the the follow up rounds. But let's go to another wild match because this is it seemed to be like you said it's like one off one on where it's like there was a really great game with a lot of goals, and then there was a game where you're just like, well, this team's gonna win, and then they did, and you were like, all right. Surely the next game will probably be just uh, another game of soccer. Nothing exciting will happen. Um, mm-hmm. The Portland-Dallas game, um, I was starting to take it personally that you had gotten every single game correct. Really not <laughs> pleased with that. I, uh, I wrote Don Garber a message saying, I'd like, this, I'd like results to be swung, please. Um, and you had called this 2-1 for Portland, which I, I thought was a, a great guess as a, a goal line. And I, I just sort of like hail married it like i don't know dallas is good and i think they can score goals so i said three two for them and i think if, if people recall that episode i wasn't terribly confident in that prediction so i feel a little guilty that i got it right uh sort of um this for me like before we get into the actual game itself um i kind of felt like as good as portland has been all of their shortcomings, which aren't a ton of them, but the important ones really came home to roost in this game. 
I would agree with that. And, and there was some interesting there. I think that what's what sticks out to me more than anything else is just their ability to their lack of ability to recover the game in 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 extra time. Yeah, because they had so much opportunity. Um to score it and, and they just don't they they had so much opportunity to do stuff but it kind of felt like they didn't know how to uh how to pay this one off mm-hmm. um you have but earlier on you have uh Villafania plays into Valeri and is already running right to the goal to get it back um for that first Portland goal uh I have Peppy to the post, Peppy onto the post and in question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark. <laughs> Ricardo Peppy runs in, shoots through Clark tight to the post and, oh no, it goes off Clark off the post. And then he scores the rebound from it mm-hmm. to make it one, to make it, uh, he's 17 as well. I think, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Another, uh, another teen scorer. So those are those two things. Those two things both happen. Pepe's goal is in added time. So that tells you those two goals happen eleven minutes apart. So that kind of tells you what the previous <laughs> yeah eighty minutes were like. I have to admit, after a long after a long couple of uh, you know days in the in the news and also in the soccer minds. That was that was one where it's just like, oh, this is my day off. I'm going to put on Portland, Dallas, and we're going to see how I feel. And certainly, at times, it felt that there was there was little on. And you're right that it's like you know, Portland had 54 um, percent of possession. They they had um, 22 shots, but the uh, two, 22 shots with what would that have been? Eight on target, eight off target, six blocked. They had uh, they had ten more shots overall, um, but they weren't able to sort of make their usual. Uh, they weren't able to, to 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 get into dangerous enough positions. They weren't able to take their 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 chances, um, and they weren't able to capitalize. No, and and I really felt like there was a point in this game where probably after, like, the first half, I was thinking, I don't love the way Dallas is sitting back here. I know that they can defend well, but they're absorbing a lot of pressure, and it's only a matter of time. And we've seen Portland do that to teams, and that's part of what I like about the Timbers is that they don't have to control a game to win it. They certainly do, but we've seen them come back... um, We've seen them do all kinds of things. We've also seen them give up an awful lot of late goals, um, which <laughs> is a problem. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I really felt like in the, the two periods of added time, Portland looked dead, like just dead. Um, and, and not for lack of effort, but just they looked like they'd used up all the energy they had in the 90 minutes. And... I, I think are going to be most disappointed by just how many chances they had where they could have put this one away. However, it really feels like this kind of played into uh, Luchi Gonzalez's hands where I think he set this up to be kind of like this, like take it. They've 
Portland has played a lot of games. Make them work for it. Let them tire themselves out. And we'll find a way to win this one. I don't think he necessarily wanted it to go to PKs, but that's what happens. He couldn't He couldn't make his... You know, uh, Portland were getting bullied on possession. They were getting bullied in their own half on possession. Yeah. And there was so little happening in the extra time. The step aside, Carl Reiner and Mel Brooks, the, the new... <laughs> The new comedic duo of comedy is is Taylor Twelman and John Champion, who are who are just just they're just riffing. Yeah. There's just a long there's a long twenty seconds of glorious silence while nothing is while very little is happening yeah. uh, during the run of play. And Taylor Twelman just says, "What did you have for dinner tonight?" <laughs> Uh, I mean, they're not my favorite duo in MLS, but I, I felt like they, they actually called this game quite well for a game that, for, for the vast <laughs> part of it, there wasn't a ton going on. But, I, you know, I still Tal- Dallas defensively looks great. I mean, obviously they have a, a much lauded academy, and we're talking a lot this year about their prospects and players that have been purchased for big sums, and it sounds like some more probably headed out to Europe as well. Um, and you really see that translate into what they've built on the pitch, that this is a, a team with a very solid defensive setup um, that's comfortable winning games where they're in control. They're comfortable winning games late. They're comfortable winning games when um, they're lower on possession. And I it, I just think, you know, Dallas is one of those teams that maybe had a bit more of a plan of how to do things this season than anybody really gave them credit for. And they came in and really kind of stole this one from Portland. Um that goes to a penalty sequence that is the exact opposite of San Jose Sporting Kansas City in that every single penalty just keeps going in. Reno Ziegler scores. Farfan scores. Valeri scores. They're all going in. You know, John Champion is joking. You know, they're, they're, they're saying this is the point of no return, which makes me think this is the point of no return. <laughs> but they, they, you know, they're saying... You know they put they bring in Blake Bodley, and John Champion says, "Why did who would want to be Blake Bodley now? And why is it Blake Bodley?" And I'm like, "Wow, he don't light up this 22 year old kid, John." <laughs> uh, but he scores, and in Ryan Hollingshead scores, Diego Chara scores. Um, why you would put Chara in ahead of Blake Bodley? Who can say? Who knows? But they get through all the way through the list to the man who missed his penalty in the 2015 double post shootout. Steps up. Jorge Villafania is saved. And uh, and that was the end. But you you absolutely couldn't have watched that that extra time and thought, you know, I really think that Portland could win this. Or that I really think if Portland doesn't win this, that that you know they've been they've been underserved. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I I was actually a bit surprised that that there wasn't more from Portland. Um, but credit to Dallas. I mean, they really dug in in this one, and they they played they played Portland's game better than Portland really. Um, yeah, a great result for them. Back. To our friends, Nashville, who now go to Hartford to play Toronto FC. Toronto has had the ability to go back home and, and, and stretch their legs and hang out with their families and 
and enjoy the the home comforts of of uh, Bimo Field before returning back to East Hartford uh, and Rentschler Field. And it feels that this was a game where they didn't really ever Toronto did not really ever start their engine. Nope. The, they left the, the keys in the kitchen. The tremendous. The tremendous ability to control a game in the midfield and to 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 have that uh, mastery of the tempo just was not there. Uh, they didn't really. They started um, Josie Altador, but he didn't really ever look in danger of scoring. Uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that Nashville always looked super strong either but they were just they just put up a wall um they the story through the first 90 was just this this procession of offside goals that they kept scoring it's with yonder cadiz yonder cadiz scored two and i think that like the deal with that first one is it looks impressive because it's offside the second one, he he's jumping ahead of he's ahead of everybody and he's able to knock in a goal when Nobody else is following him because it's offside. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because you go and you look at the... I went to go review the Montreal-New England game after I had seen this one. And it's just like, there's a question as to whether or not Cadiz is offside here. And it's like, oh, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> well, I think, and Mokhtar got at least one offside goal as well. So th- this could have been That's a right. game that was 4-0. Um, but was but, it, but I... Uh, it didn't necessarily feel. I felt at the end of the ninety, it didn't. It it could have been four nil, yep. or three nil. But I don't necessarily think that like the story at the end of the ninety was that Nashville had a great dominance of the game themselves. No, it was just that they were finishing their chances. They were just finishing them uh, a second too late. <laughs> it turns out. But you know, uh, yeah, Dillion has an early chance. Um, I really felt like Pozuelo was pretty okay in the midfield in terms of playmaking, but certainly wasn't involved in... I mean, I think he had a couple of free kicks that were pretty errant and and went nowhere, and I felt like Toronto's top players were kind of nowhere to be seen, and we're used to seeing the likes of Jonathan Osorio, Nick DeLeon, and Richie Larea show up and kind of fill in those holes, and that just didn't quite happen. I thought, um, well, me along with everyone else felt like Rosario was very, very fortunate to even be playing in this game because he had a, a kick out at a player exactly the same as Ruan's, but uh, no call was made and he stayed on the pitch. So he he, he, he now okay. So I don't this he. So what happened with that one is he kicked him in the nuts. Yeah, and and he's down on the he's down on the uh, the ground. He's his leg is his. I you could argue. This is my joke about. This was my joke on Twitter. Uh, you retweeted about the the is it is it ball to foot or foot to ball on this one? <laughs> is his is his does he kick out or is his leg extended? He argues that he had no idea where his balls were and his foot was just there and he happened to put his balls there. I think on replay you pretty clearly see him look and strike out with his foot i think he's a fortunate boy but um we you know there's no argument because he get he got to stay on so i i feel like there would have been a lot more controversy had he 
got thrown off. But it does beg the question, why is this one not a red, whereas Ruan's was? I thought there was a lot more intent and anger in Ruan's, where it's clear frustration, and he'd also had multiple fouls leading up to this, where it was clear he was losing control of himself. Um, But regardless, um, you know, ultimately I felt like Nashville, what they do so well is they just take the sting out of all these dangerous situations, you know, to, to just utterly shut down a team like Toronto that has five or six players that are real offensive threats really didn't feel like it in this game. And it wasn't, it's not just the, the defense, it's the entire team. Um, you see Mukhtar, um, defending (laughs) with the rest of the team and, and really feels very much like a complete side. It's almost one of those, like, you're like, at what point does it become a detriment to have a squad this good? Because are you going to be able to keep this whole lineup? Because right now it's like, <laughs> who would you trade from Nashville? Who would you give up over next season? I mean, they have such a, a strong, fantastic squad. And you saw that that last 10 minutes of the game, they just completely collapse their shape and park the bus. And we've seen MLS teams dig in and defend for large stretches of a game and certainly at the end, but not as well and not a, and as effectively as Nashville can do. I, I I don't know whether or not you called Nashville in the second round. I think we both sort of talked about you had Montreal going in, so there was a different there was a different uh configuration yeah. in yours. Yeah, I didn't but make I, any official prediction on this one. I predicted Toronto, but I think we both sort of had this idea that that Nashville uh, out in a game in these playoffs didn't really feel like the story. Yeah. Like, that didn't really feel where things were going. It doesn't really feel where things were momentum-wise for them. And, and you know, when we, were dis- when we were discussing Dark Horses, it really felt that that was like that that is a for me that that was a, a road you could go down and they're saying you know we've knocked out toronto now we want to go to the mls cup Hell i think yeah. if you beat toronto you get uh you immediately advance to a match against seattle yeah is that true I believe so um and they could i mean maybe that's maybe that is that might be putting the cart before the horse somewhat but like that might be the answer to well, what do we do? Um, like like what do you do with this team before it breaks up? Is just well, win. All you have to do is win a trophy before you break it up, I guess. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I thought it was a thoroughly commanding performance from Nashville, despite the fact that no, it didn't look like they controlled the whole game and were clearly going to win it. But in terms of sticking to their system and doing, they just played a game they played a Nashville game they played exactly the way they've played all season um which has been I think largely adaptive to other teams without completely changing their system or what they're about and you know they look like a club that's been in MLS for 10 years I think that's the (laughs) thing that has so many people talking and excited is they they look like a complete team like where's the weak link in Nashville aside from the fact we don't know how they're gonna do because we don't have any reference point offsides See, all their, 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 all their things are offside. Yeah. I did love Hattie Mukhtar being called offside. He was like five yards into the, to the ha- to the attacking half when he was called offside. I kind of think it was fair. Yeah. But I love him making the VAR gesture. Um, so one of the things 
of all the problems that MLS teams have that they have had this year, one of the ones we've talked the least about is this idea of do you want the buy or not? Because we had uh, in 2017, I think we had that issue of of you know half the teams that get the buy not the the first round buy from from placing first or second and playing the playing team, um, not uh, you know not being on that same form when it comes to the game. Uh, and I went and looked in back to 2013. The team playing the play-in team who rece- who presumably received the buy or what have you. The team, the team playing the the play-in team in the MLS playoffs, wind wins twelve times and loses eight, mm. which is a lot of losses. Yeah. It's more wins, but it's a lot of losses when you're considering that it's the higher seeded team mm-hmm. playing a, a much lower seeded team, and at the same time as Nashville was scoring in. Uh, in extra in the second period of extra time, um, New England against Philadelphia mm-hmm. um, was scoring two goals in quick succession against the supporter shield winners Philadelphia. Yeah, I quickly and, at the beginning of this game was like, "Oh, we didn't make a prediction." I don't think so. I was quickly like, "All right, three-one Philadelphia. I'll give New England a goal." <laughs> I think I, I might had, have jinxed it. <laughs> I had Philly. I had uh, I had Philly winning for for the play in rounds. I didn't give numbers, but I just like roughly tossed. You know, if 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 these ended up being the matchups with which they were, uh, who I thought would win in the matchups, mm-hmm. and I had Philadelphia kind of for the same reason as it's Toronto, which is on paper they're such a good side that I couldn't see them uh, couldn't see them being stopped here. And similar to Nashville, I couldn't see them being stopped here for narrative purposes. You know, and they come yeah. all this way to get the supporter shield. Bruce Arena just masterfully created this team. Well, I say it masterfully. What I mean is he, uh, it's just this exacting precision of what is going to happen. And when the goals go in, he's not smiling because he's not surprised. No. He, he looks like the least surprised man in MLS when his team is winning. He's just casually like chewing invisible gum, just staring blankly out at the pitch. Like, what? What? Why are you guys zooming in on me? That's what we said we do. That's what we practiced. Jim Curtin looked like a lost man. Like it, it hurt me a little for such a, an amazing coach who's had so much success this year with such a great squad with so many great talking points. I mean. I think they had a comparable performance to Colorado's. Like it just, it never felt like the team showed up outside of, like, I mean, a couple of half chances. Okay. Because they had 11 players on the pitch and played 90 minutes. But outside of that, uh, this, it really did look like the, the game had been figured out before the ball was kicked. And then it just played out exactly as Bruce Arena had drawn up. Um, it, it was just it was a master class in in tactics and and how to figure a team out i i think bruce arena was helped by philadelphia's lackluster performance i mean brendan aronson i think got subbed off around the 60th minute and they barely said his name the whole match he was just non-existent and it just 
it was a lot of uh, failure to to even get the ball into the final third, let alone do anything with it. Um, but New England just everybody seemed to know what they needed to do in in all situations and looked like they handled most of it with relative ease. And the big shock to me here is not that New England won; it's that they won so easily. They just destroyed. I mean, they didn't destroy Philadelphia in the sense of a 5-0, but that's not really Bruce Arena's style, is it? Like, he's going to... Um, he's a much more patient man than that. <laughs> um, the, number, uh, the number for me to look at here is, you know, you look at Philadelphia had uh, 59% possession. They outshot New England 15-11. to 11, But shots on target is even at 4-4. And shots blocked... Is eight shots blocked for Philadelphia and four shots blocked for New England. Yeah, just the 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 positioning was perfect. Yeah, yes. Uh, when uh, they uh, when it when it came to it, uh, it was a a free kick. Um, Adam Buxa rises above two def- uh, defenders who contest him but do not really contain him. I mean, he's nine hundred feet tall, so that's forgivable. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but I, I mean, just th- this is one of those games that really does make you think because you, you just you're like, okay, well, if New England goes through, that really kind of shakes things up. I mean, not just because sure. it's not what we necessarily predicted, but we now have brackets that, given the underdogs team, if we can call them teams, if we can call them that, given their performances, now all of a sudden you're like, well, <laughs> I don't see any reason why New England can't win their next game. I mean. I could see a couple. We'll get to that. I also love you have uh, Tejan Buchanan uh, lets Kai Wagner basically run over him. Like, run over the ball. Like, Kai Wagner is moving in his direction, and he sort of just passes over the ball and doesn't kick yeah. it or whatever. And he, Buchanan continues his run unabated. And that goal comes in four minutes after the other, which is kind of the one two punch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, it was just masterclass coaching from Bruce Arena, and I, I love he's gotta he's gotta feel a satisfied man after all the talk around. You know, he's he's good, but he can't really handle MLS 2.0. Well, he's rewriting that. <laughs> I mean, say right now, Bruce Arena is, is MLS 3.0 and is is showing everybody that he he clearly is up to the task. So I had to work at five thirty. So I watched the Toronto game and I went right to sleep. Uh, with my with our advanced, you know, these games starting very very late on the East Coast where I am, in the Maritimes, mm-hmm. uh, and people were, you know, as I went to bed, the sky was falling. You know, I was going to watch these games later, but it's like, oh my God, Toronto lost, <laughs> New England is winning two nothing. Who knows what's going to happen in Seattle LAFC, and and I more or less tried to stay away from the scoreline so that I could experience it. Uh, and that one played a little bit closer to script, I feel. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The, with uh, a 3-1 result. Yeah. yeah, with a 3-1 result for Seattle. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I I don't feel like there were too many surprises in this one. You and I both predicted Seattle would win. You thought it was going to be slightly closer than I did, um, which I don't know if really both of us are right here <laughs> or how, I don't know how you read it, but 
I felt like given how many players LAFC was missing, granted they had Carlos Vela on the pitch, but I felt like given the way that things had gone for LAFC this season, I actually thought they played better than I thought they would. Like, I I wasn't expecting quite so much um, fight from them. But I, I think you could say all kinds of things about Seattle, and I'm sure we will get to. But Jordan Morris... Um, <laughs> Rui okay. Diaz and Lodero are involved in all three of each other's goals. And that front three is, it, it really is just a question now of, is there anybody that's capable of stopping them? Because the goals just look easy. And, and it looks as easy for them as it has all season. That It's, it's like Seattle just decides, those three players decide they're going to score and then it happens. And if they're not scoring it, then the other guy is. Seattle is vulnerable defensively, but yeah, you. it's challenging right now to, like, I think that they are the most distinguished front three in the teams that are remaining. Um, You're right that, that with the break on in that first one, it's Morris plays it back to Ladero for the first goal. Uh, Nuhu fouls Carlos Vela for a penalty, which is saved. Yeah, to to ratchet up the drama, uh, Morris hits the post. Ladero hits the post uh, on sixty six. A, a ball from a corner bounces to Rui Diaz at the top of the area, who just crushes it. Yeah, to get that two uh, two one going on. Uh, LAFC score to maybe make you think that the uh, um, the comeback could be on, but. Jordan Morris is alone when he gets the ball and makes it count. Sure does. Yeah, pretty open and shut for Seattle. Um, I I feel like LAFC will be disappointed somewhat, but, you know, I think Bob Bradley said he was just like, you know, it, we've been inconsistent this season and we were inconsistent in this game and and that hurt us. And I think that's a fair assessment, but I don't think he's... I think being placed against Seattle, you you really got to go like, hey, if we make it through this round, it is going to be a, a somewhat of a miracle. And it, it's just too bad we have to face them right now. I feel like LAFC probably could have beaten a lot of other teams. Yeah. Uh, but it's like, as much as we can say, LAFC, you know, Carlos Vela obviously didn't have a good night. That being said, you could see that Seattle doing this to just about any team in MLS because they have before many times yep and it, it was i think that having this in the first round even though it had to come at the end of the first round was was quite a bit of drama considering that this was the western conference championship game last year um and i didn't get a chance to see whether or not bob bradley was was as was as frustrated as he was last time um but i think you're absolutely right that this could have been that ju- this just could have been uh, just as well the the conference championship again. Yeah. Um, and we'll not to say that other teams can't. And you know, Sporting Kansas City is going to be an interesting one to watch. But uh, but Seattle certainly feels like you know one of the teams on form in the West that are the most interesting at this time. Absolutely. Um, well, the the MLS news was that. On November 19th, MLS laid off 20% of staff at the league office, which is about 70 positions. 
which is really like frustrating in the pandemic uh, to have a league that has said, we've got to try, you know, and the work that goes into it is, is the players who have to sacrifice so much and the teams that put them on there, but to have worked with MLS through all this time and then to be laid off during the playoffs. Yeah. You know, do you look at the, you look at the YouTube channel, there are like games that happened days ago that aren't up there yet. And it's just like the, as uh, Pablo Maurer noted on Twitter, it's just like, I would have loved to hear that we're, we're spending extra money on charter planes to get people back from the international break on time. And then be one of 70 people to be laid off. Yeah. 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 It, it kind of makes you wonder. But yeah, it's not It's not a great look. Jim Curtin was named Coach of the Year uh, before the set of games on the 17th. Um, he was named Coach of the Year. I think that unfortunately is this for Philadelphia. You In taking the Supporter Shield and in taking that, that, that deserved Coach of the Year title... You've got to think that that story ends at the close of the season. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that's the graduation point. That's where you you say goodbye to your, your favorite Brendan Aronsons of the world. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just just in terms of the game that comes out to that, go, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd, we talked about the other two players, I think. Rossi winning Young Player of the Year, Golden Boot, and Bradley Ray Phillips winning Comeback Player of the Year. Um, Which is a little funny because it's like come back from what? Where come did back from he getting go? Fired, getting 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 these walking papers from New York. Yeah, but it's like he, it wasn't like he wasn't scoring goals or wasn't good. That's anyway, a good point. Anyway, um, I'm I'm happy for him. I just think he'll be a little bit like, all right, the Canadian <laughs> come back, soccer do what I did my whole career at another club. Sure. The Canadian Soccer Association says that the Voyagers Cup. Uh, between Toronto FC and Forge FC is to be played uh, in the first quarter of, of 2021 with uh, with some of the scheduling issues involving TFC being in the playoffs, but also um, Forge is going to Haiti on December 1st, which seems like uh, hmm. organizational, hmm. you know, hmm. with, with international travel the way it is, hmm. uh, to, to play in the CONCACAF League quarterfinal against Arcai. Um and we can talk. We we can handle the whole of KPL later. But tonight we had the KPL awards, and Stephen Hart from Halifax got Coach of the Year. Forges Tristan Henry got the Golden Glove for goalkeeper. Kyle Becker won uh, League MVP, and Cavalry's Mo Farsi won Under Twenty One Player of the Year. Yeah, I know a lot of people are upset about the uh, the Player of the Year going to Becker and not to to Bustos, but I, I think that's a fair call. Like. He had a lot. He, he had a great. Uh, he had a great performance in the tournament, and I was hoping for Garcia, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but what can you do? Um, we can maybe. Yeah, the that that was a, a an interesting. I kind of almost had stopped thinking about KPL until that series, the the little show on CBC was going on. So. It was it was fun to dip my mind back in that direction for a second. Yeah, absolutely. And we should let no people know too. Like we'll we'll go back and we've skimmed over them a little bit this season because there's just been so many damn MLS games. <laughs> uh, but we'll we will give them their dues in in the off season. We'll we'll kind of go we'll dive a little deeper and 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 go mm-hmm. there. But for now, let's let's take it home. Let's give people the predictions for the next round of playoffs. 
All right, so uh, Minnesota sporting Kansas City. What do you mm-hmm. got? I think Minnesota's going to do it. I think it's going to be 3-2. I think Sporting Kansas City is going to play the way, the way that they've continued to play and score goals. Um, but they've shown they, they're leaky. I don't like the defensive setup, and I think Minnesota is uh, aggressive enough. So I've got it as a 3-2 win for Minnesota. What do you got? I've got a 2-1 win with one of those goals in the 90th minute, and the 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 it is will be Kansas City that scores that goal. Okay. Right. I don't know if I'm I'm relying too much like 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 uh last week I was like is this just a neural network where I'm I'm feeding in yeah. my memories of these fast teams. But just like I, maybe a heads up to Adrian Heath and I'm sure he's already thought of this but do win it in the 90. Like <laughs> if you're going to win it, do it in the 90 minutes cuz if this goes to extra time, I'm I'm changing my answer to Sporting Kansas City. <laughs> I think that that um, yeah, I think that that Minnesota winning is a great is a is a very interesting result, and it certainly would be something of an upset. I feel I still feel that it will probably be evens. It will be evens is right up until the time that uh, Sporting Kansas City is able to pull something out. Mm-hmm. Dallas Seattle. This is going to be a tough one. <laughs> Here's the thing. I think Seattle's going to win this one um, because they are the best team in this tournament, and the, those front three attackers just look very, very dangerous. Dallas defensively looks really strong, and I think they surprised a lot of people with how strong they looked. But I got this as 2-1 for Seattle. What about you? Uh, goals, goals, goals. I have uh, I have Seattle winning four three. It's a way which I you know and Dallas is going to have some fans in the stands presumably, so that could potentially make it less of a or, or, sorry a, a more unforgiving environment. But I think that the way the way through Seattle is 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 by exploiting the defense. Yep. Um and. and- they they do allow goals, and uh, and I think this is going to be this is going to be a run and gunner. Yep, I agree. Could be could be a wide open one. Uh, New England Orlando. What are you thinking here? I've got two two on pens again. Which again, maybe I'm just thinking about you know I should just call the same things that happened in the last one, <laughs> but but these are two evenly matched teams i think and i think that it'll be hard to get lots it'll be hard to get lots through new england two is a lot to score against them right now i feel yep i so you think orlando's gonna win it in pks yes okay all the things you said are true and correct um and certainly orlando has proven to be winners of games i think new england's gonna win this two nothing i think they're a better team I think that they're they're set up better defensively, and Orlando has struggled to finish at times. So I, I think that Bruce Arena is going to have Oscar Pereja's number here and, and know what to do with this team. I, I won't be surprised if I'm wrong, but I I just feel like the momentum is, is really in New England's favor here. I think Orlando got extremely lucky to go through, and it's a great storyline. As with MLS Cup, I think... Or MLS's back cup. Um, 
I I think that that luck is going to run out. Bruce Arena is just going to grimace his way to the conference final. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Columbus, Nashville. What do you got? I think Nashville has, has shown themselves to be an elite force. I think Nashville is going to beat Columbus 3-2. I think that they're going to... Uh, they're going to hold Columbus down, certainly. Columbus is not going to be able to have one of these wonderful three-goal fests that they've been having. Uh, but I think they will win one nothing. Late Zardes header? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very, very, very possible. I mean, on, with all the next games, I really do feel like, you know, it, it they're going to be good matches and it, they could go either way. So I don't feel super confident in a ton of my predictions, but... um. It's it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I, I love the way that things have shaped up. You know, we've got some some great teams that we knew would be great, and we've got some teams that nobody really expected to be this far playing these big teams, and we've already seen some upsets. So I'm I'm hoping there's gonna be at least one more where everybody's just like, wait, what? <laughs> the the five thirty eight the people of five thirty eight have calculated. They say that. Sporting Kansas City and Seattle have a 23% chance of winning the tournament. Columbus 17% and Orlando 14%. So those are your those are your polling numbers. Yeah. Heading into it. The, the, Did the we predict Seattle Dallas? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yes. I just want to talk uh, about it. Is it here yet? <laughs> Soon. And until then, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. You can find this podcast at That's So com on Apple Podcasts and wherever else you get podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please where do. can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. And until... We uh, we meet again at the conclusion of the uh, the next round of the playoffs. Please don't get sent off in the shootout. Yeah, because 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 there's not necessarily going to be a substitute there to take your place. <laughs>